Church family, he is risen. Absolutely. What an awesome God we serve. Um, one note to the kids with all the eggs. When you leave, you can get a second egg. Only the second egg is going to have something in it. Okay? Just take note of that. This is only for the children who are quiet and listen during the service. Just kidding. I couldn't help but say that. Okay. It's for all the kids. Uh, hey, I want to thank you for all your prayers. Jenny and I are doing 10 times, tons better. Thank you so much. No crutches. Running, okay, walking around. Um, feeling so much better. So thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for other people in the church who are hurting, who are recovering from surgeries. Um, what a blessing uh, to know, to see the church be the church. And uh, it's, I'm very thankful for that. You know, we've spent the last four weeks retelling stories from the Bible. And we said, hey, turn into the History Channel or Lifetime Channel, and you're going to see this little TV miniseries called The Bible. And there's great stories on there. It's not going to be all the stories, just key stories. One underlying theme going throughout all five weeks. Tonight's the concluding night, okay? And we're going to pull some messages from those stories. And, uh, and I, you know, the producers of this TV show, they were saying, listen, we're not going to be out there preaching all these things, and we're not going to be hitting all these theological issues. We're just going to tell the stories. And we hope that it just gets people fired up to get back into the Bible. Well, this past week, I uh, stopped in and talked to, uh, uh, in Toledo at the Christian bookstore, and was talking with them, and they said, you wouldn't believe how many people this past month have come into the bookstores now wanting to buy Bibles. And it's like, it's working. That was their goal. We want people reading, and people are saying, we're watching this on TV, and now my kids want to read more, and so help us pick out a Bible for our kids. And, and so what a wonderful thing uh, that's happening. And in our worship services the past four weeks, we've been sort of tag-teaming with that TV series. And uh, we've retold various stories, and we've seen how redemption that God offers to us leads us to, if you remember back four weeks, from death to life. And we talked about it, how from slavery to freedom. Two weeks ago, from victimhood to victory. And then last week, from religion to relationship. So all these things, we've gone from one to another. Now we conclude today with, I'm going to say, probably the most memorable journey, the peak, the summit, the climax of, of which, you know, all these stories ultimately point to. You get to watch that tonight, but we're going to talk about it some today. We know that in this story how it begins when Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. And then he's crucified. And a series of incidents take place with his friends and followers by surprise. And if you can just sort of imagine, they'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen Jesus heal people. They saw Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. They saw Jesus being praised and him walk into the temple and cleanse the temple and speak like a prophet. And then, boom, by surprise, all of a sudden he's arrested. Like, what's going on? This, this shouldn't be happening to our Jesus. This shouldn't be happening at all. And, and next thing you know, he's on trial. Next thing you know, he's being beaten. Next thing you know, he's being crucified. It took the disciples by surprise. And what happened in Matthew's words were this, darkness came all over the land. Think about that. If you were following Jesus 2,000 years ago, and you'd spent three years with him seeing all this, and then all of a sudden he's gone. I think we could all relate and say, darkness came over my world. 
And probably today, some of you that are here today, you've maybe felt similar ways emotionally, maybe in your heart, maybe, uh, I don't know, mentally, maybe physically. Darkness has covered your world at times lately. Disappointment, frustration, pain, anger, multitudes of emotions just over come over you and, and you're like, I don't feel at all like rejoicing right now. I want to uh, show you how today's message is going to give you hope. We're going to watch a video clip, Dan. And this video clip you'll see tonight if you're watching the show. And we'll talk more about it in the service. Uh, this video clip from uh, the series gives you hope, hopefully, in a time of dark periods. So let's watch this together. Imagine the dark scene in the upper room with all the disciples. It's dark, it's gloomy, you're speechless, you feel like you've failed your Savior. Mary just trudgingly goes to the grave to see what's going on, and it's empty. That's why we celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday. The tomb's empty. He's alive. You know, I think about this. This is, this is the day we share the greatest of stories told. There are so many great stories in God's Word. This is the greatest. Because if we didn't have this story, forget the rest of the Bible. It doesn't matter. The greatest story. And, and how do you retell that great story every year and try to add something to it? Like, hey, I want to show you something about Easter that you've never heard. And all of you that have grown up in the church, that have been in the church your whole life, it's like, what else are we going to talk about on Easter? It's the same story we always talk about on Easter because it's the greatest story. It's like, if you go back maybe, like for me, I go back to high school, and I think back my junior year in high school, we won a state championship in football. So, you know, you get together with the old football guys, and it's like, hey, remember we won state? Oh, that was, man, remember that? Remember Mark? Man, the, the smallest guy in the field did the biggest job snapping the ball. And, oh, you remember the last play we won? The touchdown, the fade to the end zone. Scott threw it up there and Kyle caught it. Oh, I'll never forget that. After the game, the celebration at the hotel, we all, we all dressed up and we sat around these tables around the pool and all the parents were on the other side, like a glass wall looking in. We, it was weird. It felt like we were being watched. And, and then the three-mile caravan from Indianapolis all the way back up to South Bend, three miles of cars following us back on the school bus. I'll never forget. You know, we retell the stories over and over, you know. But here's the deal. What do we do with that? All we do is just retell the story. I can't go back and play football. There's no way I can go back and play football. Half my teammates, you know, are 50 pounds overweight. Too many of us had too many surgeries. I've even had a few teammates that have passed away. You know, it's just a great story. It's fun to retell it. But the resurrection, the greatest of stories, you can't add to it. It doesn't get bigger. I mean, it is what it is. It isn't like... Well, man, you know, I was pushing around a 300-pound lineman. No, he was like two and a quarter, okay? But every year he, got, he gained weight as I told the story, you know? And the muscles were bigger. You, know? you can't do that with the resurrection. So what's new about this greatest resurrection story? There's nothing new about it. It's the greatest victory ever. The question is, what are we doing in relation to the greatest story ever? What's new about me? What's new about you as a result of the resurrection story? How are you different today than you were last Easter as a result of this resurrection story? 
How have you lived your life in victory this year compared to last year? Where are you at because of this story spiritually? Turn in your Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, we'd be more than glad to grab one for you. Just raise your hand and we'll get one to you. John chapter 20, fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 20. We're going to read the greatest story ever told. John chapter 20, we're going to start in verse 1. Let's read. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the, student, the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran, she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who loved by Jesus. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see. Now the other disciple ran, Peter, and got there first, and he stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside, and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. Now while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the side, the other disciple also went in. He saw and believed, for until then they hadn't realized the scriptures said he would rise from the dead. Then he went home. Verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw the two white-robed angels sitting at the head and the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. So why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. She glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said. If you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him that I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned toward him and exclaimed, Teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord, and she gave them this message. That's the resurrection story. Now listen, you may be downhearted. You may be emotionally at your wit's end. You may be depressed, frustrated, confused about a lot of things. But if you've not invited the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, into your life, you won't see how things become clear. His resurrection tells you and I, among a lot of things, it tells us this, that when you're dead, it's not over. Death isn't the end. It's the beginning. It tells you that if you have hope in Christ, all your hopes can be revived. It tells you that your Savior, who triumphed over the worst that anybody can throw at you, can give you victory. See, the resurrection reminds us that we're saved from darkness. The resurrection also reminds us, as we retell it, and it saves us from fear. It gives us a new presence and a new peace. Let's continue to read in the story. John chapter 20, let's read on verse 19. That evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Can you imagine that? You're locked in a room. All of a sudden, Jesus is standing there. First four words he says, peace be with you. 
I think we would all need to hear that at that moment in time. We'd be a little nerve-wracked. Verse 20, And as he spoke, he held out his hands to them to see. He showed them his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. He spoke to them again, and he said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. These verses say that the disciples were behind locked doors. Why? Did you ever ask that? They were afraid. They thought they were next to be crucified. They thought the religious leaders and the Romans were going to bust down their doors and take them to the cross next and put them in a tomb. So they locked the doors. They were afraid. Think about what you are fearing right now. What is it that you're fearing? Afraid of losing your job? Afraid of losing somebody's love? Afraid of being hurt again? Afraid of messing up again? What is it that you fear? Because you and I are just like the disciples behind locked doors, cowering in fear, saying, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope this doesn't happen. Then all of a sudden, what we're reminded from that story is that today, Jesus wants to appear to us and say, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Notice what happened in those verses as you read. Jesus came, stood amongst them, and said, peace be with you. He said, peace. He brought that moment where he took all those fears and banished them. Whatever it is you're fearful of, whatever it is you're scared of, uh-uh, not allowed in here. For those of you in this room today who have faith in Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, fear shouldn't have a rain or hold on you at all because the peace of God surpasses all things. The peace of God reigns. He gave them the Holy Spirit then by whom his presence would continue even when he ascended into heaven. Here's the deal. That story can be your story too. That's why we love not only retelling this story, but realizing we should be different because of this story. Salvation in Jesus Christ saves us from the darkness of fear and brings us into the light and his presence and peace. The resurrection also reminds us that we're saved from the darkness of doubt. How many of you have had your faith questioned? Yeah? Uh, hey, Let's, let's bring it home. Last Monday, Jenny and I are on the way to Toledo. Got my crutches. She's in her seat. You know, she's recovering from her surgery. I'm recovering from mine. We're on the way to Toledo to go see the doctor to find out how my knee's doing. We're six, seven, eight miles down the road. Actually, we're, we're one mile down the road, and Jenny, Jenny's praying. As we're driving, Jenny prays, and just, Lord, give us safety today as we drive, and just pray for a great day. And she says, amen. Seriously, four or five minutes down the road, air pressure goes off on the dashboard and our right rear tire is going from 40 to 38 to 36 to 32 to 25. we got a flat tire. Are you kidding? It's snowing outside. I've got crutches. She can't lift anything over four pounds and I'm going to change a flat tire. We get in the car and, and I, seriously, I always have my gloves and hat. Where's my boys? Boys, do I not always say hats, gloves, always in your vehicles because you're always going to need them, right? Look who didn't take their hat and gloves today. We change the tire, get in the vehicle, and like, I've got my fingers up by the heater trying to hold them up, driving, and Jenny's like, really, God? Really? And I'm sitting there going, I hear you, sister. <laughs> Man, this is crazy. So in those moments, what should I do? Doubt God? You know, God just hates me. He hates our family. 
Or maybe God's saying, just keep trusting in me. Aren't you glad that you had a gauge on your vehicle to tell you had a flat? Because the last vehicle you were driving a couple months ago didn't. You would have been on those curves on the 109 trying to repair along the side of the road. That would have not been good. Maybe God was looking out for us. But see, those doubts that we have, let's read this. John chapter 20, because we're not the only ones. John chapter 20, verse 24. One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. But listen to this. And put my fingers into them and place my hand in the wound in his side. Thomas says, I don't believe it until I see it and touch. Once I see it and touch, I'll, I'll believe. Okay? Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Again, they are still got a little fear in their life. But suddenly, as before, Jesus is standing amongst them. And he said this again, peace be with you. And then he went on to say this. He says to Thomas, he looks to Thomas. He knows Thomas's heart of doubt. Put your finger here. See my hands? Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. What does Thomas say? My Lord, my God. Verse 29, Jesus said, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe me anyway. That's us. We've not seen the risen Savior like Thomas, like the rest of the disciples. We've not had the opportunity to maybe look at his hands and put our hands on his hands and our hands on his side. That's not us, but blessed are us who have not seen and have believed. That's us that Jesus was talking about. Isn't that cool? But I want you to think about what's going on here with Thomas. Thomas wasn't in the room when the other disciples first heard about this, when they first saw Jesus. And he wanted stronger evidence. I want to know that Jesus Christ appeared to you. I want to see it myself. And I want to touch him. I want to put my hands in his hands. I want to put my hand on his side. I want to see it. And eight days later, Jesus shows up again. And the text says that Jesus appeared to them. Peace. And then he looks at Thomas and says, put him here. Put him here. Go ahead. Did Thomas, look at the text, did Thomas actually touch it? No. All it says, the next thing is Thomas just says, my Lord and my God. He didn't have to. He believed. He didn't need to touch the wounds as he thought. He just needed to see Jesus for himself. We may think we need proof, right? If I could just see Jesus in my life, if I could just see this happen in my life, then I know Jesus is real. If God would just do this in my life, if God would wipe out my debt, if God would restore this relationship, if God would do this, then I know he's real. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Right? Fresh vision from the heart of Thomas needed to see Jesus. It's not our physical eyes that need to see Jesus sometimes. It's our heart that needs to see Jesus and believe in those moments of doubt. Think about this. After gathering behind those locked doors at first, they soon went into the streets of Jerusalem. They were no longer fearing. They were no longer doubting. It was no longer dark in their life. It was light. Peter preached perhaps the most successful sermon in history. John healed a blind beggar outside the Jerusalem temple, where all these threats of the priests were, all these incredible things, if you read the book of Acts, all these incredible things start taking place. 
because they were no longer living in fear and doubt and darkness. Because see, that's what the resurrection does. It removes the darkness. It removes the fear. It removes the doubt. I hope this is where you are today. I hope you're at a place in your life where you say, you know what? I want to get rid of the darkness, the doubt, and the fear. I believe. I hope that in your heart you're ready to say, you know what? Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the risen Savior. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I hope and pray that that is your prayer today, your confession today. That's what Easter is about. A lot of people place their faith and trust in other gods and other religions and other things that fail. There is no other human being, other God that's worshipped, that's come back to life the way Jesus Christ has. There isn't. He's the only one. Will you place your faith in Him? I've got more I want to share with you, but we're going to stop and pause. We're going to pray. Okay? Let's stop and and pray. Heavenly Father, You're an awesome and mighty God. I thank You, Lord, that we look into John 20 and we see the truth of what happened. A risen Savior, a long-awaited Messiah, come to free us from slavery, from victimhood, from religion, from death, doubt, fear, darkness, your resurrection from the tomb gives us new life, new hope, peace, gives us a relationship with you, gives us freedom, gives us victory. Heavenly Father, I just pray today if there's somebody in this room that's never trusted you, they've never confessed with their mouth that you are Lord, they've never believed in their heart that you are a risen Savior, that right now, as I'm praying, they just confess that to you. That they place their faith in you, that they believe in their hearts. And they simply pray to you and ask for forgiveness and ask for you to come into their life and take charge. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for victory. In thy name we pray. Amen. I want to read different scriptures to you because I want you to understand this. When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you say, you know what? I want to follow Jesus Christ. I don't know if you ever realize this when you read through the scriptures. Jesus wasn't like, okay, John, Peter, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Okay. He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. What did he do? What did he say? He said what? Follow me. So you want to know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you followed Jesus. You did what he did. You obeyed him. And the fruits of the Spirit were evident. Your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness, your peace. You love. As a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what I want you to hear. I want you to know who you are. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. You're royal priests. You're a holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit? His Spirit is in you. 
receive from God, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Repeat after me. Bought at a price. One more time. Bought at a price. 2 Samuel 7, 24 says this. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There's nobody like you. We've never heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to make your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. Let me hear you say redeemed. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and the gods that stood in your way. You made Israel your very own people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. Let me hear you say bought at a price. Let me hear you say redeemed. 1 Corinthians, did you hear that? Those words in 1 Corinthians, did you hear that in 2 Samuel 7? In Luke chapter 1, verses 67, 69, it says this. Then his father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He sent a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. Let me hear you say redeemed. This is who we are. We are bought at a price. We are redeemed. Price was paid there on the cross. And the resurrection fulfilled it and took care of it. That's the greatest story ever, the resurrection. The story of history that makes us, takes us from darkness to light and from confusion and fear and doubt to hope and peace, a new beginning. The resurrection story that we tell over and over should change our life because it's the sacrifice that redeemed us, that bought us freedom so that we can live differently. Now, I heard something this past week, and, 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 and um, I'm sorry, a few weeks ago, and so I started studying it. I said, I gotta check this out because this is way too cool. And I know some of you who have done some Bible studies on Beloved and in other areas, you probably, this is not gonna be so enlightening to you as to others. So hang with me on this one, okay? But as I, I want to push the rewind button to look at something that happened before the resurrection and before the crucifixion, it was Thursday night in the upper room. It was the Lord's Supper. It was the Last Supper, as we call it, right? Understand that this was partaking in what was called the Passover. The Passover is how the Jewish people remembered what God did for them, rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. So the Passover is a time when everybody returned to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice to God, to celebrate and partake in the Passover meal. So it was during the Passover, Jesus and his disciples are in this upper room, they're partaking in the Passover meal. And in this Passover meal, which is really cool, is that Jesus takes the cup, okay? Just takes the cup of wine. Now understand in the Passover meal, we're going to study this sometime and share it. It's an incredible thing, the Passover meal. There's four cups that are given, and the third cup is the cup which Jesus takes in covenant and hands to his disciples and says, Take this cup. It's my covenant. Drink it. Now, as we look at that, and we, we always, we sort of gleam over it when we talk about communion, right? We read over it. We take communion. But th there's really a lot of meanings behind what Jesus did in handing that cup. One, it's part of the Passover. Two, it's part of the covenant. But then there's another picture here of marriage. Now, it's pretty cool in, in the fact that when we look in the scriptures, Isaiah 62.5 says this. 
Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man can commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. So as we look through Scripture, there's different references to God being the bridegroom and us being the bride. Okay? Now Jesus takes this cup and he says, Take this cup, it's my covenant with you. Now, what he was doing was what young Jewish boys did when they proposed to their wives. So these fishermen are pricing and going, uh, proposal? No, they're probably thinking Passover meal, they're thinking covenant, but there was another thought here with the marriage. Now, let's rewind back a little bit more. A young teenage boy sees a girl that he likes. Okay, actually, let's Make a limb a little bit older because it's freaking some of you out. Like my 13-year-old getting married? That ain't happening. Something like my 16-year-old not getting that. Okay. Back in those times, culture different, obviously, all right? This little Jewish boy sees this girl, um, teenage. He likes. I'd like to marry her. Or maybe the parents were sort of helping with the matchmaking, but usually the boy says, yep, that's who I want to marry. The dad goes to their parents. Hey, we're going to arrange this marriage. Okay, sounds good. Let's get together. Everybody comes together. The bridegroom, the groom, and his family, the bride and his family, they sit down at a table. Um, so what are you going to pay for my daughter? We're going to buy her at a price. It's part of the marriage contract. Okay? So, you guys, you got to live this one up right now. Okay? So what's going on then is, as they, do, they sort of negotiate the terms for how much they're going to buy the bride, when they're done, the groom takes the cup and slides it across the table and says, this is my cup take and drink. Now that's when the bride can say, I accept this marriage proposal or I reject this marriage proposal. She takes it, she drinks it. Yay, okay, the covenant's been uh, sealed. So now what happens is the groom goes home. The bride goes off to her home, probably another town, okay? She goes home. The engagement period is a 12-month period. So there's a time of separation. During this time, she goes back to her home. She's known as the one bought with a price. That's her new title, Okay, we say, oh, she's engaged, fiance, all that kind of stuff. She's the one bought with a price. She goes home. She starts preparing for her wedding day. It's going to be 12 months or so away. The groom goes home to his father's house, and he starts building on to his father's house a little apartment, a little called a mansion. Okay, and he starts to prepare for his new home with his future bride. So he starts preparing this room and getting it ready. And and until that room is complete, it's probably going to take 12 months to. A little, maybe 13, 14 months, a little more longer than a year. When he's done, the father says, house looks good, your room looks good, go get your bride. Now, in between that time, best man is sort of doing any kind of communication. They obviously weren't texting or Facebooking or anything like that, okay? So the best man is the communicator back and forth. Now, groom's ready to go? Let's go. So the groom, best man, the groomsmen, they go at night to the bride's town to her home. She doesn't know, again, she's got to be prepared. She's got to be ready. She doesn't know when her groom's coming. So as she waits, all of a sudden she sees these torches coming into town. These, these lamps are all lit, and she hears the, the, uh, the horn sound. It's like, oh, tonight I'm getting married. Okay, so the bride's totally excited because her groom has returned for her. They come together. They go home. The ceremony takes place, and there's obviously more to it. That's the part I wanted you to hear because in, this, in that whole Jewish marriage, when we look at this whole thing, when Jesus was with his disciples and he says, take this cup 
It's my covenant. It was almost like, do you? Yes, Jesus, I'm leaving everything for you. Just as a bride would leave everything behind for her husband. And we know that in the book of John, the scripture that is given about how Jesus said, don't be afraid, I'm going to go away for a while, and I'm going to go to my father's and prepare a place for you. But I'll come back. Remember that scripture in John chapter 14? John, I'm sorry, Jesus is like saying, listen, I am the bridegroom. You are the bride. I want to know, do you accept my proposal? Yes or no? Drink of this cup. When we take communion, there's a lot of symbolism to it, and that's one of them, is yes, I'm, I'm yours. I'm yours, Jesus. And until Jesus returns, we know he's in heaven preparing a place for us, just like the groom does, right? We're the bride. Are you ready? If the trumpets were to sound and Jesus were to return, are you ready? No bride wants to be caught not ready. On her wedding day, she wants to be prepared. We're the bride. Are we prepared? You know, I was, I was thinking about this with Easter and, and this whole thing of, you know, we are, whatever we talked about, we're redeemed, we're bought at a price, just like the bride was called, right? The cross was the cost, he paid the price. I love it, the fact that Jesus Christ just wasn't interested in us, he invested in us, he paid that price. And he says, I'm going to come back and get you. But the fact that I'm alive gives you hope. The fact that I'm alive gives you peace. The fact that I'm alive gives you joy. And while you're waiting for me to come back, get yourselves ready. You walk this earth in victory. You walk this earth sharing people the good news. You walk this earth sharing the story of what has happened. I'm alive. I'm not in a tomb anymore. It's resurrected. So because Jesus is alive, my friends, we need to live as if he's alive. We need to live in victory. We need to live in peace and hope. We need to live like the bride who's getting ready for the ceremony of her life. What a tremendous thing to look forward to. What an incredible thing to look forward to. There's so much more in that Passover that we'll talk about another time. Worship team, would you come forward, please? As, uh, as we get ready to sing this song, I want you to think about how mighty our God is. No unusual day when he busted out of that tomb. The promises that were made fulfilled. I think to how as a believer, sort of like when the bride and groom separate for that 12-month period, see the bride is supposed to keep herself pure, away from things that might defile her marriage. We're supposed to be doing the same thing, keeping ourselves pure for Christ living in a way that honors him, a holy life. You know the amazing thing is? Is that in that time period that Jesus is away, he knows that we're going to mess up. He knows we're not going to be the perfect bride. But he still paid the price. He still loves us. He still died for us. And he resurrected for us. He's alive so that we can be alive with him. Isn't that a great thing to celebrate? Amen? Would you please stand with me? 
We're going to sing this song of worship. When we get done singing, I'm going to ask you, or the worship team will ask you, and have a seat. We're not done yet, okay? So I know sometimes when we get ready to sing that last song, so we start packing up and get ready. Don't go anywhere. Don't pack up, okay? Sing this song of worship, God. Sing with your heart. Sing to the fullest. And then when we get done, let's be blessed again. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you're an incredible God. Thank you so much that the resurrection gives us that hope and that peace and that joy, that the resurrection reminds us, Lord, that, you know, this is a great story to tell. It's the greatest story to tell. But until you return, Lord, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're going to do what the bride does. We're going to keep ourselves pure. We're going to be ready with anticipation. Looking forward to that day when you come back. We're going to tell others. We're going to get excited about our faith. We're not going to walk around with our heads down. We have a covenant with you. When we place our faith within you. We trust you, obey you. Someday you're going to come back for us. What a glorious day that will be. Until then, Lord, help us to be victorious in everything that we do and say for you. In the name we pray. Amen.